Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez at NPR West in Culver City this morning. We start with a Central Valley tragedy. A family of four that was kidnapped from their business in Merced this week has been found dead. Merced County Sheriff Vern Warnke says the victims, an eight-month-old girl, her parents, and an uncle, were discovered last night by a farm worker in an orchard near where they were kidnapped. Warnke, speaking at a news conference, says it's all a horrible tragedy. There's just, there's no words right now to to describe the anger I feel and the senselessness of this incident. I said it earlier, there's a special place in hell for this guy, and I mean it. Sheriff Warnke would not go into many specifics about how and when investigators think the family was killed. Horribly, horribly senseless as to what happened here. We don't know motivation yet, but we are uh, making a determinant factor on that. The family was kidnapped at gunpoint from their business in Merced on Monday. Surveillance video shows the suspect, 48-year-old Jesus Salgado, leading the family, whose hands were zip-tied behind their backs, into a pickup truck before he drove off. Relatives of Salgado contacted authorities, telling them that he had admitted that he was involved in the kidnapping. Police say Salgado tried to take his own life when officers arrived at his home, but he has been talking to investigators since. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. During the first months of World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066. It authorized the U.S. government to relocate and incarcerate more than 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry. Those who were uprooted and imprisoned were treated as one large faceless enemy, no matter their ties to this country. Now, more than seven decades later, a group led by a USC professor has taken on the challenge of creating a list 
of every single person forced into camps and jails. In Los Angeles, KPCC's Josie Kwong has the story. The number of people who lived through incarceration is fast dwindling. My parents are gone. My sisters are gone. Kyoko Oda is 77, a retired teacher. She was the baby of the family, born in Tule Lake, an incarceration camp in Northern California. One day I'll be gone too. Feeling urgency, Oda joined a group pushing to build a memorial with the names of every person incarcerated. It's remembering the past and fighting for human rights in the future because this is a great wrong. But the group had a problem. No master list of names existed. After Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, Japanese Americans and nationals alike were scattered across many different incarceration sites, 75 to be exact, from Hawaii to Arkansas. When records were recovered, they were riddled with errors. Thousands of people's names were misspelled. Clearly, people never dealt with Japanese names before, and as they're typing, couldn't quite figure out what to type. Duncan Duke Williams directs USC's Edo Center for Japanese Religions and Culture. Three years ago, he decided there needed to be a complete list of people who were incarcerated. Emerging everybody into this kind of enemy group is something we're trying to repair, but also what we want is people acknowledging this history as a way of giving people back their individuality. The painstaking work required checking camp rosters against birth certificates, death certificates, census records. But Williams built a team that was enthusiastic and motivated. I knew I'd be good at it because I have OCD and so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock this. For Shoichi Shingu, the work couldn't be more different from his job in digital marketing. He volunteered for the project after discovering that an exhibit at the Presidio in San Francisco on Japanese-American incarceration had left out his father, who was born at the Gila River Camp in Arizona. I want to honor his name, get him in there, and make sure that he's part of this. You know, he's born there and he's kind of been forgotten and kind of breaks my heart. Shingo was asked to check the names of thousands incarcerated at another camp, Poston in Arizona. It took hundreds of hours over eight months. It was amazing. I mean, I can't even tell you, like, I get chills right now because just seeing the names made it real. The team was checking the names and rechecking them up until a few weeks ago. Williams of USC says they are finally done, and the tally of names is... It's about 125,284. We believe we are 99.5%, 99.9%, right? Williams says they're trying to get to 100%. The list will be available online, and family of survivors can point out any corrections or omissions. The names have also been printed in a 1,000-page book. Embedded in the cover is ceramic, made from soil collected at each of the 75 incarceration sites. Williams sought help from survivors' relatives like Regina Boone. He was like, would you be interested in going to pick up some soil? <laughs> Literally. I was like, yeah, why not? Boone is a photojournalist in Virginia. That's where her Japanese grandfather had settled and built a family with her Black grandmother. The day Pearl Harbor was bombed, he was arrested by police, then detained at Fort Howard in Maryland. Boone went there to retrieve the soil. I wasn't expecting it to be emotional, but it was. Her grandfather, Suruchu Miyazaki, would be moved two more times before dying of tuberculosis the year after the war. Boone sees the Book of Names as a way to highlight the lesser-known story of a Japanese immigrant in the South and that of his Black family. This is Japanese history. This is Black history. I mean, it's all of our history. The Book of Names will be displayed at the Japanese American National Museum in L.A. for the coming year. Kyoko Oda has already gone to see it. 
you know, this is very meaningful to me that I'm living long enough to see something of this beauty and this impact. The book is a monument to every person named on its pages. Oda hopes to next see a memorial in the more traditional sense, one with names engraved on walls of granite for generations to read and remember. For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang in Los Angeles. And that's The California Report for Thursday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez in Culver City. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great morning and day. Support for The California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, recognizing young social entrepreneurs through the Wesley Prize for Young Innovators of California. Information about how to apply is available at wesley.org. Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.